So if you're listening to this show, I know that you know that hydration is important. But hydration isn't just for super active activities. We need to stay hydrated all the time. I bet that when you are at work or when you're on a long road trip or you're traveling across country or across the world and you're spending a lot of time in airports, I bet you're not hydrating yourself enough. So yes, we know that hydration is important. It's important at all times. And that is what Liquid IV is here to help you do. And Liquid IV comes in a bunch of delicious flavors, 12 to be precise, including things such as sea berry, strawberry lemonade, lemon lime, pina colada, watermelon, strawberry, passion fruit, and it goes on. One stick of Liquid IV in 16 ounces of water hydrates you two times faster and more efficiently than water alone. And you want to know why? It contains five essential vitamins, B3, B5, B6, B12, vitamin C. It has three times the electrolytes of leading sports drinks, made with quality ingredients, non-GMO, and free from gluten, dairy, and soy for anyone with any sort of dietary restriction. But here's the thing that I think I like the most about Liquid IV. They are dedicated to equitable access to clean and abundant water across the world. So they're partnering with leading organizations to fund and foster innovative solutions that help communities protect both their water and their futures. To date, Liquid IV has donated over 39 million servings in over 50 countries around the world. Real people, real flavor, real hydrating. Get 20% off when you go to liquidiv.com and use code GOPODCAST at checkout. That's 20% off anything you order when you shop Better Hydration today using promo code GOPODCAST at liquidiv.com. Everybody. Welcome to episode 106 of the Go Get Outside podcast. This is your host, Jason Milligan. Welcome back. Welcome aboard. The show has been gone for three years, but we are now back and we are working toward a full season six. So expect a new episode on the 1st and 16th of every month. And if things go well, hopefully we will provide a few shorter bonus episodes in between. But at the very least, you can expect two episodes a month on the 1st and the 16th, just like we did in the past. When we took our extended hiatus, I was a bit burned out and COVID was a good excuse to not have to do it. And I was pretty relieved to not have that responsibility for a while. When I decided to think about bringing the show back, I wasn't sure I wanted that responsibility again. And then I started sitting down and recording interviews with people and talking to people. And it's been really nice. Uh, it's been great to hear people's stories again. It's been great to meet new people. So I hope you're happy to have the show back. And I can assure you that I am happy to be making this again. And I'm really looking forward into doing a lot of things to try to build this into something a little bit bigger than what it used to be. No promises, but I'm working on it. Some things are taking longer than I hoped. Uh, what is really going to help keep this show going is for you guys to share these episodes. And so I'm putting something together to hopefully make that easier for everyone. And also, you'll probably hear ads. Hopefully, you will hear ads on this show now. That's, that's part of what's going to hopefully keep us going for years ahead. But I don't want to 
to bore all of you with the technical details behind the show. Just know that we are back. I'm happy to be back. And I'm really happy to share this episode with you. So a little behind the scenes, even though I said I was done with that. I always try to stay four to six episodes ahead of schedule so that I can make sure these episodes come out on time. So I've already recorded the first seven episodes of this season. And when I was sitting down trying to decide how I wanted to organize those into a program and what episode I should pick to launch, you know, this new season and this return of the show... Once I sat down to edit, it became very clear to me what episode that should be. And that is today's episode with Ezgi Kuntas. She is a biologist, originally from Turkey, though she's lived in the States for quite some time now. And she is a person much like me, and I think like many of us, who kind of came to this outdoor community later in life. And I love this episode. If you're not familiar with the show, if this is your first episode, the goal of this show has always been to share the stories of everyday people in our outdoor community because I think their stories are even more important than those of celebrities and athletes and professionals. I think the stories of the people we can identify with are the ones that are really important and that we all have really interesting stories to tell if we just stop and talk to each other. And this episode with Ezgi encapsulates all of that. We discuss so many topics that I think are germane to this show as a whole and like episodes that I think are the best episodes of this show. We're not only talking about outdoor adventures and retelling stories. We're talking about all the aspects of our life outside of that and how these things intermesh and affect each other. And with all of that said, let's get to this episode with Ezgi Kuntas and enjoy this discussion of everything, including climbing, finding yourself in another country, biology and the sciences, roadkill, and insect ovaries. Plastics were a wonderful invention that have a myriad of uses, but we have unfortunately become overly dependent on them in our society. And now we use them in everything and they end up in our oceans, they end up in our food, they end up in our bodies. And that's why I want to tell you about Sun and Swell Foods. They're the nation's first online plastic-free grocery store. They have an assortment of delicious, healthy foods and plastic-free, and get this, compostable packaging. If you don't have access to composting, that's cool because they also have a program where you can send back all your packaging and they will compost it for you. Their foods are 100% plant-based and vegan, 100% gluten-free, and 100% real food. No added preservatives, no added unnecessary ingredients. So if you are looking for a more planet-friendly pantry, shop Sun and Swell and get 20% off site-wide when you go to sunandswellfoods.com and use code GOPODCAST at checkout. That is 20% off your entire order when you use GOPODCAST at sunandswellfoods.com. So I've been making podcasts for a few years now. You're probably aware of that if you listen to this show regularly. And I recently switched to Zencaster because podcasting is not always easy. But Zencaster is an all-in-one solution that is here to make podcasting easy. You can record directly through your browser, whether you have an audio podcast, a video podcast, or if you're like me and you record your podcast out in the field, you can still work with Zencaster's tools. It's there whether you want to build everything in your 
your browser or whether you want to build it somewhere separately and then move it into your browser. Super easy to use audio or video podcast. They have post-production tools to help you sound your best, to take out the ums and ahs, to remove awkward pauses, to adjust your loudness and your levels for you. If you've ever heard me do this show and you thought, that seems pretty easy, I want to go make my own podcast. Well, you know, it is pretty easy if you go use Zencaster. Go to Zencaster.com slash pricing and use my code GOPODCAST and you'll get 30% off your first month of any Zencaster paid plan. I want you to have the same easy experience I do for all of my podcasting needs. I think it's time for you to go share your story. My name is Ezgi Kuntas. I am from Turkey. I am a biologist. I grew up in the Mediterranean coastal uh, city of Antalya. It's like kind of like very reminiscent to Los Angeles. Instead of the Pacific Ocean meets uh, the mountains, it's the Mediterranean Sea meets the Taurus Mountains. Very similar climate, a bit more rain, very similar plants and no coyotes but other than that yeah it's <laughs> very similar and is, is the biggest difference whether or not you have coyotes <laughs> i mean i guess the there are maybe like the the cousins of coyotes in turkey but yeah i think coyotes are definitely very american it's funny because i grew up not knowing that mountains were climbable that outdoors was to explore i grew up in this in the city and I was, I guess, a city girl who was always looking for a tree to climb. Just a little backup, like, uh, so my dad, he was a pilot at the Turkish Air Force. A good chunk of my childhood uh, was in this military base, very safe. We just like running outside and there were a lot of fruit trees everywhere and no wilderness. <laughs> I learned the concept of wilderness actually when I moved to the west coast. So yeah, my childhood was like just running around, climbing on trees, fruit trees, and just like my favorite thing to do was to climb up a mulberry tree and just <laughs> collect mulberries and just find a comfortable branch and just sit and eat the, the berries and watch the life just go by. I guess I moved to the U.S., to the East Coast, when I was 21 years old. I moved here partly because of my ex-husband was here, and also I wanted to become a biologist. Uh, I was on the East Coast for a, a good chunk of my U.S. experience. It's been uh, almost like 20 years at this point. So I was in uh, Morgantown, West Virginia, initially. And it's funny because it was like such a lonely place for me to live in West Virginia because I didn't know anything about outdoors. <laughs> and I was just such a work in the lab, come back home, watch TV uh, and <laughs> go back to work and come back home, watch more TV. And that was my life. And, and this is your 20s at this point? This is my 20s. And I mean, I, w I used to like work out regularly. I was always active, but not like outdoor active. There's something like I think culturally that I like it clicked uh, like later in life with me. Like, I don't know, like in Turkey, like even though, yeah, I was surrounded by all these mountains and it would inspire me to maybe write poetry, but 
I it would never cross my mind that like oh I can actually go up that mountain like it was just not like something that ever occurred to me and it was it's so weird now I go back to Turkey and I'm like oh my god there's mm-hmm. so much to do like so many things to see and uh, like I feel like I like I have this urge to rediscover my own country uh, all over again with these new set of eyes that I have the new set of tools that I have and uh, so I was on the East Coast in Morgantown, West Virginia. It's beautiful. West Virginia is gorgeous. But yeah, I didn't know how to like really take advantage of the place that I was in. And then I uh, moved to New York City for a hot minute. I lived uh, in Manhattan for a year. And then my ex-husband was supposed to follow me. He couldn't. And uh, he found a job in Pittsburgh. So I moved back to Pittsburgh, which is like only an hour and a half from Morgantown. So I was like, yeah, I spend a like good chunk of my U.S. experience in that like radius of like uh, West Virginia and Pennsylvania. And I was like doing my grad school, like I got a master's and then a Ph.D. And once I was done with those degrees, I wanted to actually like come to the West Coast. I That was like a goal of mine. I wanted to be in a place where it was going to be kind of similar to uh, home, like more Mediterranean climate, because I was a bit tired of the long winters and cloudy weather in Pittsburgh. It was just like kind of making me feel a little, you know, depressive. And yeah, then for postdoc, then I came to Caltech. Then I was kind of getting used to being in LA. And I guess one big life change that happened, uh, like not too long after I came, I moved to uh, LA was. I got divorced. And you got a tattoo. (laughs) That is correct. I have my divorce (laughs) tattoo because I was with my ex-husband for like 17 years. It's a a good chunk of my adult life. I just vividly remember when I moved out and I had my tiny little uh, house. I was just sitting in bed and like crying and like kind of feeling like lost and like I don't know what I'm going to do with my life. Who am I if I'm not like married to this person? And I fe- felt scared. And and how long did you say? I forget. You you said most of your adult life. How many years? Seventeen years. Seventeen years. Yeah. Years. yeah it's a long and time. yeah, and my tattoo is a uh, a skater. Uh, skaters are like there's the annual kind. There's like the thirteen year and the seventeen year uh, broods uh, in like kind of. I guess northeastern part of the U.S. and uh, so I love insects <laughs> and uh, so I wanted to get an insect tattoo and uh, because these are 17-year skaters it made sense that like uh, now it's a new chapter I am going to reinvent myself and I'm going to uh, make something different uh, with this new chapter. Yeah so I remember sitting on bed and kind of I had a notebook in my hand and I was like, okay, who is this new Esgi, new version of Esgi going to be like? What's she going to do? The first item I put on my list was camping. <laughs> the second item was backpacking. The third item was climbing. And okay, so, so I'm going to stop you for a second. <laughs> so those three things you just listed, you said earlier that you would look at mountains and it didn't even dawn on you that like you could go hike into them or you could walk uh-huh. into them. So when you put this list together, you just named three things mm-hmm. that you earlier told us you wouldn't even have thought about. So where did those items come from? How did they end up on your list? Yeah, yeah. So I guess like like when I was younger, as a young girl, I didn't realize mountains were climbable. But like over the years, like I definitely uh, became aware of 
that people actually do out go enjoy themselves outdoors, climb mountains, and right, I was you see always pictures and movies yeah. and magazine covers, and, and yeah. climbing was always like something that I enjoyed doing, climbing trees and mm -hmm. like getting on top of rocks and stuff like that. But um, yeah, throughout my marriage, I think I I had this longing in me to like do more things outdoors. Yeah, just like either like focusing on career and not having that like outdoor culture uh like i my husband was ex-husband was uh, turkish as well so i don't know we just never had that dynamic post-divorce uh new esgi wrote down those three items in her list and then the question was okay where do i start how do i do these things and how do i go camping and i didn't luckily you live in the age of the internet <laughs> Yeah, it's not just about like, uh, I was definitely scared uh, in terms of like, I cannot just like, couldn't like fathom the idea of like, I'm just gonna buy a bunch of gear and then just drive out of nowhere and then just camp like. That's not the best approach anyway. <laughs> yeah. So I, uh, I guess I started like kind of looking for community. I wanted to meet people who do this regularly. I wanted to learn from people and and I'm all I'm all like a community driven person in general and other parts of my life as well so I started looking into like is there anything at Caltech and, um, and there's a lot <laughs> yeah there's a lot at Caltech for sure uh, there's the Caltech Alpine Club so initially I started like checking out some of their talks that they organize and uh, that was kind of like my initial point into entry point into like kind of uh, meeting people who do this regularly and it was kind of unbelievable to me because Alpine Club at least when I was going to the talks they were the talks were like so epic <laughs> like people were like I climbed this like Mount Everest no but like it was like really hardcore epic adventures mm -hmm. uh, by community members yeah and there are a lot of students there that go do very impressive things that is correct. over like a week and then uh -huh. they'll come back and bring back photos and put together a slideshow or something yeah, yeah yeah but it didn't quite help me as to okay inspired me but it didn't quite help me wait how do i get into it? how right, do i get into it big, it was like right, a bit yeah. too big yeah what happened was um i heard someone talk about uh, the sierra club wilderness travel course it is a 10 week long course. It happens once a year. I think sometime like late January until late March. So by the time that I heard about the course, there are like different sections uh, around Los Angeles and there's one in San Gabriel <laughs> that would have been a lot closer, but it was already full. There's one in West LA, one in Long Beach, and then there's one in Orange County. And <laughs> by the time that I signed up for the course, the only available spots were in Orange County. I decided that, okay, every Tuesday night, I'm going to commute to Orange County. Like It's going to take me <laughs> one and a half hours to just get there and then 45 minutes to come back for like a two-hour course. Right. It was one of the best things that I've done. Like, it was like so beginner-friendly. Like, they literally teach you everything from like as if you don't know anything. I will say... That was me. <laughs> at, the, at the time that we're recording this right now, there have been 105 episodes of this podcast. This wilderness travel course 
has probably you're probably the tenth or twelfth person to mention <laughs> it on the show. So, That's great. So it is yeah. a, this particular course is a course that changes things for a lot of people. Yeah, yeah. I guess like by the time that I got divorced, I was 35 years old. Just to give you guys a context. Right, and then if you do some simple math, I mean, you got married at 18. <laughs> Well, okay, not married, but yeah, I, I think I was married okay, for so 10 you years, were together. whatever. That's okay, like you were together, for, 17, gotcha, yeah, gotcha. yeah. But yeah, yeah, I, I met him when I was 18. Right, so um, sincerely, your entire adult life was with <laughs> that person, and the person that you had become was you two combined, right? Uh, yeah, yeah. So yeah, now you had I, to find yourself without this correct. person. That yeah. is correct. So, yeah, coming back to the wilderness travel course, it was so good for me, and I learned how to camp, how to backpack, what kind of gear to take where. And like we did all these hikes, uh, map reading, compass, uh, how to use a compass and camping in snow. And like, and after you finish that 10 week long course section, then you have to do two like experience trips uh, throughout summer uh, where you actually go to their website. They have like the amazing like program, like anyone can go like sign up for a backpacking, uh, trip, uh, or request to go on a trip. And so, uh, you do two experience trips and then there's a graduation, which is this fun party where all the different sections come together in Joshua tree. And it's beautiful by doing that. Like that was like my first kind of taste in the wilderness. And I, loved it and I was just so hungry for more and man you're really lucky that the three things that you put on your list that you had never done before you actually <laughs> like to do <laughs> it would sucked if you did the first one and then you realize you hate it and you still have two two other things on your list that are very similar when I was like kind of like doing the backpacking thing I was like solely focusing on that so once mm -hmm. I was done with like not done with that but like once I felt like I had some footing in that I uh, signed up at the local climbing gym in Pasadena and uh, kind of made my girlfriends also sign up so that we can all go climb together. And so I started going to the climbing gym. Then I started kind of like, all right, I this is really me. Like, I love this. I love how climbing takes me out of my head and like puts me right in my body. And it's just problem solving aspect of it. And like, just everything about it, it just clicked. I was just like, I want to go climb outdoors. It really like turned into uh, something that I uh, wanted to pursue. And interestingly, uh, around that time, I had the fortune to meet my ex-boyfriend. <laughs> <laughs> Is there a tattoo for him? Uh, uh, no. no he, he well, the, the, yeah, no, the, the fig maybe, I don't know, yeah. Uh, but uh, to be determined. I mean, all the tattoos are for me. Like they are like, correct, kind of correct. Yeah, yeah. Yes, so that is a very, good, that for, is a very like, good way to state it. Not yeah. like for exes, but correct. Um, that tattoo is not for your ex-husband. <laughs> that is it right. Is, yes, yeah, yeah. Inspired by that experience. Uh, that is right. It's like symbolizes a new chapter, and it was kind of lovely because he had a lot of experience outdoors, and he has done a lot of different things climbing canyoning whatever so yeah I will be forever grateful for him introducing me to some of the things that it would have taken me maybe years to discover like he made me feel like adventure was around the corner that like if we just say look at a mountain and 
is this climbable like and you would just look and it is let's go and it was just uh, really a, a great experience in that sense and so yeah and then I started uh, climbing more uh, I kind of switched from the, the kind of smaller gym to uh, stronghold I love stronghold I would highly recommend anyone is looking into finding a climbing community climbing family stronghold is definitely uh, a great place to be then started kind of like discovering climbing outdoors I discovered Joshua tree and realized I was really good at crack climbing and I love crack climbing uh, you're the opposite of me oh yeah crack climbing is my worst no matter how hard I try, I can't figure out how to not suck at crack climbing. Oh no! I should, yeah, we should go. Yeah, go climb and then. Yeah, you can lead all the crack pitches, and then I'll take care of everything else. That's awesome. Yeah, no, I love crack climbing, and and yeah, Joshua Tree was uh, definitely like it still is the the place that I climbed the most. But most of like my initial experiences were more like following or top roping outdoors. I was leading some sport leads, but like. Uh, leading was definitely uh, mentally a kind of a challenging thing for me, especially child leading, like trusting the gear that you place. It took me a long time to kind of overcome that fear. And how I overcame that fear was actually through uh, another club called SCMA, the <laughs> Southern California Mountaineers uh, Association. Yeah, you just joined all the clubs. <laughs> I'm, I'm a club person, yeah, yeah. And I'll tell you guys more about the Alpine Club too so because I was like doing a lot of things for the Alpine Club later like the Caltech Alpine Club and uh, so yeah the SCMA I was fortunate enough to meet a group of really like badass uh, women climbers I guess we were climbing for a hot like I don't know four five months or so I have to say I loved climbing with uh, people who were like significantly better than me because that allowed for me to be able to follow really beautiful hard lines that I could just fall and like kind of like uh, see how it works mm -hmm. and uh, climbing with the an all-female kind of atmosphere was so nurturing and that's like when my mind clicked much shifted into leading and it, I just needed that like positive encouragement and no intimidation and it was totally okay to break down in the middle of the crack when you're leading and like I've, I've seen like now many women like when climbing they just like have a moment an emotional like outburst of like like fear and it just comes through like tearing up crying and then like there's encouragement and like this like camaraderie and that kind of helps you push through that like a wall of fear and then you continue and finish the climb and it was just so instrumental I think in that mental shift then I started leading and I consider myself still a, a kind of a, a new child lead in general and again I'm very comfortable leading uh, <laughs> Uh, like really nice hand cracks and <laughs> uh, with some variation obviously but uh, so I had this list of climbs in Joshua Tree like uh, all the five fives five sixes and 
And also another gratitude for uh, my friend Justin, who is also at SCMA. He became a regular climbing partner that also we were like kind of encouraging each other. And like he's more of a mountaineer and ice climber and among other things. But like that was a really like fruitful climbing partnership as well. Yeah, it was just I was always, I guess, looking for that community, like through clubs, through meeting people, because I always felt like I started out so late in life, <laughs> like discovering the outdoors. I just am always overcoming like this, like, do I belong here? Do I like, am I good enough for this? And I'm always just like kind of questioning um, myself. And it's uh, great to be in a club setting where I meet a range of people and, and I'm just so eager to just go for an adventure. I feel like I'm now 41 years old and, and I, last year I spent most of the year kind of dealing with injury. Seeing that my body is indeed fragile and uh, it breaks and, <laughs> uh, and I have to be more mindful. So yeah, I, I definitely also try to like contribute uh, in the community setting. Yeah, I guess, um, I don't know. Uh, <laughs> I kind of lost track of what I was saying. No, but. you've done a great job. So here's what you did for 26 minutes straight. You just told me <laughs> the story of your life. <laughs> so you've already done a great job. You've already done most of this podcast for me. I haven't had to do anything. So you don't have to figure you don't have to figure out everything next. So you've talked about a lot of stuff. So we're gonna go back and we're gonna hit a lot of these different things. And And at one point I'm going to mention how much your story and my story are very similar and oh, yeah? have a lot of parallels and oh, I think wow. a lot of other people have similar stories to us too but before we do I want to go all the way back where we started because you're from Turkey you've lived in the U.S. for 20 years right mm -hmm. I bet a lot of people don't really have any concept of what life is like in Turkey so if you don't mind just tell us a little bit about about life in Turkey. Even though I haven't lived there for the last right. 20 years yeah, of yeah. my I life, lived in it Louisiana has in 20 years. So I don't it, remember what that's yeah, like. Yeah, it has changed a lot since the last time I was living there, but I have to say Turkey is a beautiful country. It's where east meets west in many ways and it, like geographically and like culturally there's just so much history and there's just just natural beauty and uh, for wilderness you have to I guess like go deeper it's just a really beautiful country and I would highly recommend if anyone wants to go check it out great food people are so friendly and uh, you can find a variety of different outdoor uh, experiences there's a lot of climbing uh, mostly limestone uh, so it's a bit different than here. There are no crocs, unfortunately. And that be perfect for me. <laughs> a lot of tufas and like mono, like finger holes and stuff like that. And uh, there are a lot of canyons, a lot of caves, uh, a lot of underground caves. Because it's limestone, it just likes to be carved by water and there's a lot of water. And so it is a beautiful, beautiful place to visit. There are definitely a couple of uh, through hikes, uh, like one of which I wanted to really always wanted to do it. And it's called the Likian Trail. It starts from my hometown, uh, Antalya, and uh, it goes parallel to the Mediterranean. Sometimes uh, higher up uh, looking at the Mediterranean Sea, sometimes you are like actually on the beach, it kind of crisscrosses. 
it goes through where Lycians used to live. So you are hiking through like beautiful ruins, just beautiful mountains, and <laughs> uh, there are like friendly people. And it's like uh, the total length is uh, around 500 kilometers in length. But that's the first through hike uh, in Turkey. There are a couple more now, but so yeah, it's like very historical country and friendly people, great food and cheap. I have Very a cheap. friend who says of all the countries she's been to, Turkey is her favorite country. <laughs> wow, that's a that's a compliment. Yeah, yeah. It's, it's really pretty. Yeah. We went through it a little earlier. You said part of the reason you came out here to the U.S. and headed to the East Coast was because of your not yet husband at that point no, to be yet, your no, husband. Yeah, your, right. yeah. But also we know that you are a biologist. You're a scientist. You are a doctor. <laughs> so was that part of the draw? Was it too attend university in the U.S. or did that just end up being a byproduct of coming here? No, no, no. It was definitely like always a goal and uh, I guess I wanted to become a biologist since I could really, (laughs) since I can remember. I remember being like uh, in middle school and people would ask me, so what are you going to be when you grow up? Uh, I would always say I want to be a scientist. And interestingly, the scientist, the word scientist in Turkish is bilim adamı. It means like science man. Like it's a mm. masculine word, science man. And I would like uh, tell people I want to be bilim kadını means like I want to be a science woman. <laughs> and I was always fascinated by uh, nature and how things worked internally. When I say I'm a biologist, I'm a cell biologist, cell and developmental biologist. Most of my career, uh, I uh, spent looking at embryos and how, like the beginnings of life, and how do cells go from one to two to four to eight to sixteenth, and then like you like there's a ball of cells, and then they start moving and making layers in the embryo. Then it turns into like all these different organs and your brain, your heart, and it's just like always fascinated me that process of like wait a second how do cells know where to go what to do like how do they communicate with each other like so that kind of was always kind of the curiosity that i wanted to look deeper into that brought me here to us because it's definitely possible to become a science woman in turkey but uh it was just at at the time it just I never even knew anyone who graduated from a university. Like, yeah, I'm the first PhD in my family. I don't know, it always felt like I had to, like, leave Turkey to pursue this uh, passion. So tell us a little bit about the kind of work that you've done out here. And I'm, and I'm sure, you know, it's varied over the years as you've progressed in your career. A lot of your work you've done is with embryos. Is there anything more in depth you want to tell Mm -hmm. us about it or the process getting to there? So I guess during my master's degree, I was in a a fruit fly lab uh, studying cell signaling. So fruit flies are kind of a a very well used model organism in biology. And we know a lot about like Uh, how the fundamentals of uh, cell biology works from those little tiny flies. For my PhD, I was again like using fruit flies as my model system to study, again, cell signaling, but it was more relevant to colon cancer. And I was definitely using like cell culture and uh, organismal like uh, fruit fly embryology. I know it sounds really like distantly related, but when you actually like look really closely into uh, the some of the basics of how cells communicate with each other, 
is very similar between uh, humans versus tiny fruit flies. The advantage of using that model organism is the, the genetic accessibility because you can make transgenic animals very easily. Transgenic meaning uh, you can actually modify their genome and they have a lot of uh, orthologous genes meaning if there is a gene X in fruit fly there is a like a very similar gene in the human but maybe there are more than one because like vertebrates are a lot more complex and it requires more regulation at the cellular level but they're like they're all parallel. I was uh, mostly studying this one gene during my PhD and the role that was playing in changing the shape of tissue. Colon cancer, if we go a little uh, deeper into the science of it, uh, colon cancer is initiated by the formation of these polyps in your colon. And these polyps are formed from a, a flat layer of epithelial cells that are next to each other. What happens uh, during polyp formation is some of the cells start like changing their shape and it kind of like imaginates the the tissue and then it then starts changing shape and then makes the polyps and there's all kinds of like cellular things uh, happening underneath and then that's one of the initial like tissue deformation or change is an initiator for tumor formation. So we were kind of studying how do you go from a flat like uh, cells that are right next to each other and happily like just flat to changing uh, the shape into the polyps. So yeah, I had a very fruitful uh, PhD experience. I loved my boss and my, like I just, yeah, it was really where I was able to peak <laughs> in a way, uh, like uh, scientifically, because I was just so into it. And uh, it was my like, yeah, primary passion in life. And, um, and I was like, uh, always thinking about it and how can I test this hypothesis what about I change this what about I tweak that like it was just really fun uh, and beautiful experience and then uh, when I came here uh, at Caltech I was studying a, a different uh, question but again to do with cell-cell communication and I also left the flies behind and I uh, then moved up so to speak, in the, uh, the, <laughs> the, the, the animal kingdom to vertebrates and uh, because flies are invertebrates. And that means they don't have a spine for anyone that doesn't recall that word. That is correct. Thank you for <laughs> clarifying. And yeah, vertebrates, animals with spines, they like I started working with fish and ch chicken eggs. <laughs> so one thing that uh, I am kind of Maybe it's weird to say, but uh, as a scientist, as an embryologist, I cannot work with mammalian <laughs> uh, model systems like rats or mice. Because an, as an embryologist, if there is uh, internal development, then uh, you have to sacrifice the mother in order to have access to the embryos. And uh, that was something that I always thought that this is, I don't want to do that. Meanwhile, fish and <laughs> birds, their eggs are external to their body. So that the is mother correct. is not in danger it if they're is. researching their eggs externally developing uh, systems so people always say like oh yeah you get used to it and I'm like 
that's the point. I right. don't, want don't want to get to. used to it. <laughs> yeah. I don't want to get desensitized towards uh, killing a mammalian organism. Yeah. So, yeah. Uh, and so I started working with fish and chicken uh, embryos and, and started uh, studying uh, cell migration. So during uh, uh, very early stages of vertebrate development, including us, uh, there are these really unique cells in our bodies uh, called neural crest cells. And these neural crest cells are really amazing. People listening can't see this, but I can see in her face that she's getting excited. <laughs> so, okay. Because the thing is, okay, when I talk about the, the fly stuff and the cancer, it's like, it's interesting, but, you know, uh, hard yeah, to but, relate to, maybe. Yeah, but now you're uh, talking unless, about like, <laughs> neural crest cells. But the neural crest cells, yeah. they are like magical <laughs> cells. Uh, so they are pluripotent cells, meaning that they can give rise to many different types of other cells and they originate kind of here in your in your spine so how your spine work like forms uh, during early development is kind of similar to what I was describing there's a lot of uh, tissue changes like kind of overall uh, morphogenesis so again you are a flat layer of cells and then some cells they start like initiating some sort of change and then you start to like kind of fold the flat <laughs> tissue I wish people I wish there was video right now so far, she has been trying to uh, give me some sort of visual representation. She so much she was dancing a little bit. Oh, and was I? She, yeah, you didn't even notice you were doing it. Oh, right. okay. And and then she was lying That's her hands, cells migrating, yeah, showing the uh, the flat cells. And then now she's picking up random objects and bending them to show me. Okay, so imagine that there's this flat layer of cells, this mm-hmm. tissue, and yep. then some cells start this to like kind bag. of yep. yeah, they they like pretty much like make their like if it's a columnar shaped cell it starts to like squeeze the top of the cell and then makes the because there's the same volume so the bottom of the cell starts getting bigger does that make sense Mm -hmm. (laughs) so if some of the cells start doing that it starts bending the tissue and then so this flat like tissue the layer of cells starts making a tube so I cannot bend this further. But. So you go from like this flat. Thank goodness like, there's not glass in there. <laughs> I don't know what was in there. But it's just yeah. microphone cables. Oh, okay. <laughs> so uh, it goes from flat to then like this, like a, a tube. And mm-hmm. then the like it kind of pinches off. And then the, the you have like, again, like your, your neural tube, uh, your spinal cord is forming there. And as that tube is closing, these neural crest cells are like kind of where the, that tube is meeting. So as soon as they touch each other, then they start migrating out. Uh, it's this fascinating process. I wish I had some, like, I have some uh, videos that I can show you. But <laughs> Do you have a slideshow you can bring up for me really <laughs> exactly. quickly? Exactly. Like, I need my, like, PowerPoint uh, presentation from my postdoc. Let me know if you have one you want me to forward everyone to at the end of <laughs> yeah, the Yeah, that's show. right. So uh, it's a fascinating process, but as the tube is closing, these cells start migrating out. So as you can imagine, the neural tube, like, makes the brain (laughs) and uh, so and it's like the length of your spine and as these cells are migrating out of your spine during the like early embryogenesis like they start like coming all the way forward to your face and then they pretty much just like go all over your face and they make your face (laughs) so So they turn into they create the scaffolding for your body in a sense yeah so even though these uh, cells are uh, neural in origin uh, they will differentiate or they will turn into all the bone and cartilage in your face and they make your nose your like 
all the, the facial, craniofacial skeleton comes from these cells. Like for example, if you think about like a birth defect, such as a cleft lip or palate, mm -hmm. that's when those cells cannot meet. They migrated almost all the way, but then something happened and they couldn't fuse again. So then th that leaves a gap. So that's a very uh, like typical craniofacial birth defect originates from uh, something is wrong with the neural crest cells. A phrase that I'm sure most people are familiar with is stem cell. So are neural crest cells a type of stem cell? That's or? right. They okay. are pluripotent. So yeah. And as you can envision, uh, that's the ones that are in the cranial uh, part of your face. And mm -hmm. then the ones that are close to your heart will uh, come and like contribute into your heart. They pretty much these neural crest cells are all over your body and then they make all the adrenal glands and like they're just like, yeah, amazing cells. <laughs> and, and you uh, get to study those now. Uh, well, I don't study them right okay. now, but I did for <laughs> a long time. And uh, it was... And uh, you were very excited when you were doing it. Yeah, I, I love I love development. So yeah, it was really wonderful too. Like I love watching cells do what they do. And these cells, they like migrate uh, in streams and they do this thing called collective migration. Usually when you imagine a cell migration, maybe it's envisioning a single cell or whatever. These cells actually, they're like literally holding hands when they are migrating and there are leaders and there are followers. <laughs> in a way, is it almost like a really interesting intricate 3D printer that's creating humanity <laughs> instead of just extruding plastic into yeah, toys. Yeah, it's really interesting because like uh, the origins of neural crystals have been uh, like hypothesized to be one of the leading causes for like the mammalian brain development and the head formation and all that. So uh, they are fascinating cells for sure. And, uh, and they, yeah, they like make... Uh, all the melanocytes in your skin so like it's just like yeah amazing cells so and i got to play with a bunch of different embryos <laughs> and watch the cell migration process and after my postdoc i stayed at caltech uh, at a different laboratory uh, i wanted to go back to bugs again and i missed my insects so i became a research scientist more in a neurobiology lab and that's where I'm currently at. And we are studying uh, insect olfaction and the sense of smell. How do insects smell things, I guess, or fruit flies in general. And But I have some so other types of back, flies. You went back down to fruit flies. <laughs> that is correct. I went back down to fruit flies. You got flies. demoted? <laughs> <laughs> well, <laughs> no, not at I'm all. I'm just messing no, with yeah, you. Yeah, I don't yeah. think you got demoted. Yeah, yeah. Uh, but yeah, it's uh, more to do with uh, what happens when an insect is exposed to an odor molecule and how do the different layers of neurons communicate in the brain and make sense of that information so that they can turn it into a predictable behavior. It's like, oh, that smells like food. I'm going to go fly towards it. That smells like predators. I'm going to like fly away from it. And, uh, and I'm uh, kind of trying to characterize the basic olfactory biology of uh, blowflies. Uh, these are those like black, like large, like kind of flies that everyone is like, ew. <laughs> and I, I definitely don't mind uh, gross things. Is it correct that um, a few weeks ago I saw you post some images where you're slicing up insect brains? Into, into, <laughs> that is correct. I do that very regularly. Yeah. And, uh, <laughs> and yeah, no, it's, uh, yeah, I love, I love bugs. They're just so like such a diverse group of animals and you know you see a really boring looking brown insect on the ground and you don't even 
think about like anything of it. It's just like right, it's but it's got its whole internal structure. It's got its whole whole own ecosystem. It exists inside of. It's connected to everything yeah. in all these different ways, and there's all these different intricacies we're not even aware of. Right. That is correct. Yeah. yeah well, you pretty much just stole the punchline <laughs> from me. But oh, yeah. I'm sorry. I can edit you kind that of... out. You want to say that instead? <laughs> no, no. So the thing is, yeah, you can just like I can pick that up and dissect it, and like it's just this like very colorful universe of cells, and it's just so beautiful inside. And I just like always felt a certain level of privilege as a biologist, as a cell biologist, that I actually can see, or I was privileged enough to see animals in a (laughs) a, such a different way like I always wanted to share that knowledge like I want people to know how beautiful insect ovaries look like and I know it sounds (laughs) really my favorite sentence you're gonna say all day (laughs) okay I have it in my tattoo yeah Uh, so uh, yeah no I'm fascinated by insect ovaries I love like just catching random bugs and dissecting their ovaries and like staining them and like I know it sounds weird but like again I think this is I'm exactly happy to why I asked you to be on this show. I'm going to explain. Okay, you finish what you're saying, and then I'm going to tell you exactly why I asked you to be on this show. Oh, okay. Yeah, I'd love to hear because when you ask me if I wanted to come do this, I'm like, me? Like, no, who no, am no, I? No, 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 you're great. You're great. <laughs> All right. Uh, so, yeah, no, insect ovaries are really beautiful, and they've been uh, kind of this hobby project of mine. And also my friend Dugu, uh, my uh, scientific soulmate, we did this course together years ago now uh, in Woods Hole, and we're kind of like hooked on insect ovaries and uh, ever since then I just like I try to incorporate insect ovaries into like anything I make earrings I <laughs> it's in my tattoo I always try to educate people about like oh my they like have you ever seen an insect ovary this let me show amazing. you like so yeah it's always uh, I love it I love it I just like always want to share that privilege of uh, seeing uh, things at that uh, deeper level and so want to share it. I'm going to get back to that in a second but I think it perfectly links into you also then going out to explore the, I think I think there are a lot of people that I've met who are into the outdoors who are also engineers or somehow in the sciences and I think it makes a lot of sense that people who want to understand the world also want to explore the world but I told you I'd tell you why I asked you to be on yes, the show. Yes please. So we met earlier this year uh-huh. when we ran Rubio Canyon with a bunch of people. Yeah. And then afterwards, a bunch of us went to some, I don't even remember the name of the place, but it was like some brewery uh-huh. or something, right? And then everybody got food and beers and we were talking and we started talking about you being a biologist. You started talking about how you collect roadkill. <laughs> as soon as we got to that topic, you lit up so much. Oh, yeah. <laughs> And this topic that no one talks about, which is finding and collecting roadkill and all the reasons you would want to do that. <laughs> no, I've never heard another person talk about it. And you were so passionate about it. <laughs> That's and, so and funny. <laughs> so this show, the secret behind this podcast, because a lot of times I bring people on who don't you know, perform or talk mm-hmm. or anything. And then people are like, well, I'm not going to have anything to talk about. And I'm like, yes, you will. We're going to talk for like an hour and a half and you're not <laughs> even going to realize it. And then it's going to be over and you're going to be like, oh, that wasn't so bad. And it's because what we do on this show is we talk about things people are passionate about. Yeah. The primary focus of that is the outdoors, right? Yeah. Everybody here is somehow linked by the outdoors, but we're all part of a larger community. Mm-hmm. We're passionate about the outdoors. We're also passionate about other things. And you are very passionate about biology and <laughs> insect <Roadkill>. ovaries <laughs> and roadkill. So 
if we don't say anything else right now, this is up to you. We can just leave this roadkill thing and people are just going to be like, why the hell does this oh woman like God, roadkill yes. so much? Yeah, or maybe yeah. you can tell us why you like roadkill so much. All right. So it all started with like, again, like me liking bugs and like uh, getting a, a colony of flesh eating beetles. <laughs> and uh, so the thing is, because I was always like, you know, I'm just curious about what's like internal structures of uh, animals. And so I had this flesh eating a beetle colony and I started like you know finding <laughs> dead birds as one does as, as one, one does, does they have a flesh-eating and... beetle colony uh-huh. yeah uh, and how like, did you contain this flesh-eating beetle okay, colony? okay they're in this like plastic kind of like uh, large Tupperware because they're like, not they're, plastic eating beetles they're they, only no, flesh no, they're, eating and they don't really fly or anything they're just pretty easy to like uh, maintain okay, so they're very chill flesh-eating beetles they are very chill yeah okay. i know yeah they they like when i say flesh-eating beetles and then when people see the beetles it, it just looks like this boring ass like yeah. <laughs> i think also people probably hear flesh-eating beetles and then they imagine the same it's kind of thing monster. they imagine when they think of piranhas which sure. is piranhas eat a little bit of flesh off of something huh. but in movies they devour whole human bodies sure yeah these beetles occasionally probably eat tiny pieces of flesh <laughs> not entire people i mean they're like pretty like efficient in like kind of uh consuming the soft tissue and and then leaving the they also eat the cartilage but uh, they leave all the bone behind so I am mostly <laughs> accepting bird donations at the moment now <laughs> so yeah the roadkill like do you have a PO int- box you want me to l- <laughs> link to a PO uh, box yes, people can please. send you like, random uh, bird corpses s- yeah send me messages on uh, insta <laughs> and yeah yeah I just like you know there are a lot of birds that hit the, like windows and uh, so I start finding like hummingbirds and finches and and you have to kind of like uh, either skin the animal or defeather it if it's a bird i just kind of love that process because uh i have this like beautiful little bird that i don't usually like hold in my hand and just like look in such uh like intense detail how the feathers are organized it's just like so beautiful to see all those patterns and i'm plucking it it's kind of sad but i feel like it's almost like a ceremony of like I'm honoring the life of that bird and and then I feed them to my beetles and <laughs> and uh, then my beetles uh, leave me the bones and then and I probably it's probably way cleaner than if you used any other process right yeah so any like uh, yeah I guess like people boil and then like pick off the meat or, like the soft tissue mm-hmm. or you dig a hole and like if it's like a large mammal and like let the beetles and round or any other like scavenging uh animals to eat it off but it, it's smelly so uh the largest animal that i actually fed to my beetles <laughs> it was a possum i had to skin a possum and i'm like i was vegan for a long time and vegetarian now i'm pescatarian but uh that was an experience definitely like had to kind of like ask a couple of friends to hunt uh to kind of like give me a an idea as to how to skin and like a larger mammal i guess it's not like a deer or anything but still it was uh definitely an experience skinning at that possum and i skinned squirrel like but most of the things that i do are like birds and i really also i like right now i'm neighbors to a zebra finch lob so they give me a lot of bird donations <laughs> that are yeah so yeah then what i do with the bones i kind of use them as like arts and crafts like material i love incorporating nature into anything that i do in life 
and uh, I just find a lot of inspiration so uh, and I'm just a curious person I like try to lead a life that revolves around curiosity chasing my curiosity I guess yeah yep bird donations <laughs> accepted <laughs> PO box yep. four, three, two. actually I'm just gonna make up a number right now and then some random person's gonna start getting dead birds yeah, delivered yeah. to their PO That's box right. yeah. sincerely yeah when we talked about that day I remember thinking if I bring back the podcast I should ask her I should ask her to be on it I see yeah yeah Very <laughs> so cool. now you know the secret you thought okay I you thought, thought I'm like was... wait am I who am I in the outdoors so I was like yeah. no but but again I think this makes a lot of sense because I think the same curiosity that makes you interested in how the world's created and how the world operates mm-hmm. and why this does this and why this does that is the same curiosity that brings you out here because you, you kind of look at the world on a more micro or nanoscopic level, mm-hmm. right? A lot of the yeah, times. Yeah, yeah. And then when you come out here, you're looking at it on a much Mac- larger yeah, macro yeah. level. That makes a lot of sense to me. That you would seek knowledge and try to appease your curiosity there and then also out here. Yeah, yeah. I guess the outdoors is also, I don't know, just like post divorce or post any breakup whatever just not only gives me inspiration but it just gives me a peace of mind and I just I find it so therapeutic it just makes me feel really present I also have this tendency to try to seek experiences that not most people have been to or doing like like canyoneering or caving was a really uh, great example of that like it just like you are in this space where <laughs> like we ran LSA last night and it just feels so sacred that we are in the middle of this canyon at night and it's just who else does that it's just like few people it just feels so sacred to be there at that time or kind of witnessing what's going on in the canyon Uh, similarly with climbing it's not about like getting on top of a mountain but it's just like being in that sacred space it just feels like yeah some sort of like spiritual experience being outdoors yeah i like that you said that because two things that always frustrate me is people outside of this community make assumptions about why we all do the things we do and they tend to come to two things one the they want to conquer the mountain or they want to conquer it which i I hate that phrase and then the other is adrenaline junkie Uh which is also completely inaccurate and what you're talking about is something totally different which is seeking out the experiences and the knowledge of the world around you but then also within you by going out there so i so i mentioned earlier and i said i was going to get to it and and now's probably a good time to segue into it where i was saying that there are a lot of parallels Mm -hmm. in my outdoor story and yours and i think a lot of other people and i've talked about it on the show before but thankfully i haven't been putting this show out for three years so anyone that ever heard it probably forgot already so <laughs> it's not gonna be bothered if i if i talk about it again and i'll go through really quickly so my situation is somewhat similar so i grew up in louisiana and i spent a lot of time in the woods and playing outside but I, like i was telling you as we were hiking up to the spot where we're recording right now outdoor experiences there are primarily hunting and fishing and not much else except maybe like atvs three-wheelers that sort of, sort of thing and it wasn't until i moved to California that it kind of became aware to me the experiences that did exist. I knew that surfing was a thing in California. When I was a kid, I always wanted to go surfing, but I didn't really have anywhere to do it. And I had seen like climbers and movies and things, but in my head, it wasn't a thing that regular people could do. And it wasn't until I came out here and I went through a big breakup. (laughs) I had been, the girl I moved out here with, we had been together for eight years at that point. Uh, And we just got to that point where we realized and we, we were together since we were young. She was 17, I was 19 when we got together. And so 
it was a situation where we were different people. We were not growing in similar directions. Yeah. And the thing that made the most sense was to separate. And when you go through a breakup like that, it is a great opportunity to look at your life and say, what don't I like about my life? What do I like about my life? And what do I want my life to be? And I didn't make an exact list like you did, but I did the similar thing where I thought, okay, well, I was always interested in this. Or, you know, I think that climbing thing is a thing you could do. And so I was looking for climbing lessons and I found a club that no longer exists and unfortunately the person who started it is no longer alive who became a very good friend of mine and in a lot of um, a lot of ways is the reason this show exists but it was a it was a club called extreme things and that's how I got introduced to everything and so his his club it was kind of like pre-groupon pre-meetup and it was what those things eventually came and, and they would do a similar thing Yes. Yeah, so my first backpacking trips, my first climbing experiences, my first canyon experiences, all name? of those things. Carl, Carl Domanche, he's, oh, okay. if you go look at an old episode, maybe, I forget which number, maybe 16 mm-hmm. or something like that, um, you mm-hmm. can listen to his episode. He also was in the caving video mm-hmm. that, that we did. But yeah, his club introduced me and Erica, my wife, to all of these different activities. And then basically what it did for me is the same sort of thing that the SCMA mm-hmm. and the Sierra Club and all mm-hmm. did for you is it kind of opened my vision so I could see what those things were mm-hmm. and find a path to get to them. And then I could choose and delve deeper and further into the ones that most interested me. And I think that's really common. common. I think it's very yeah. common that like, and I don't even think it's always a breakup, but something that upsets somebody's life, mm-hmm. somebody dies mm-hmm. or somebody moves somewhere else in the mm-hmm. country or just something upsets your life where you realize yeah, some now's, emotional trauma yeah, that you're kind now's of Now's the time to change it. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Yeah, totally. Wow, beautiful. Thank you for sharing that. (laughs) That does sound very similar. And um, I guess like uh, in the light of like the the club or community, I also wanted to uh, mention the role that Caltech Alpine Club played in my experience in general. I am just a very like story driven person. I love listening to people telling their stories. In 2019, Caltech Alpine Club is primarily a graduate student and like undergrads too, some postdocs, but mostly like student uh, driven club. And uh, I was a postdoc at the time at Caltech and I've been going to the talks and they were looking for a talk organizer and uh, I decided to kind of just like, all right, I want to help out. And I started organizing talks for the club. It was one of the uh, meaningful experiences that I uh, had at Caltech in general, it allowed me to kind of like organize talks regularly every other week and I would uh, try to incorporate not only like these epic adventure stories that people had but also backpacking 101 and how, like, how to use Caltopo or like oh, what to pack for a backpacking like uh, meal. So I always try to like kind of incorporate a range from more basic things to more advanced talks and I got to like kind of like meet someone outside like climbing in Joshua Tree and I meet someone I'm like oh my god that's such a great story you just told me mm-hmm. would you be interested in coming to Caltech and give a talk and so it was always kind of like really uh, kind of a rewarding experience for me to be able to serve the community in a different way and bring people together and hear stories uh, like either for learning or inspiration and I will miss <laughs> the like uh, doing that job because I'm I've done it three years now and I'm uh, kind of like passing the torch to the next person but yeah I love hearing stories <laughs> another another funny thing about that day that I met you I've been on the Caltech Alpine Club mailing list for uh-huh. years and so 
the very next morning you sent out an email <laughs> about one of the events and then I was like wait a second I recognize this name and so I didn't realize I had been getting emails from, from you me, for like yeah. a few years yeah 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 totally I will but, say that um that Caltech Alpine Club does have a lot of great events I've mm-hmm. gone to a lot of talks over the years they host the Banff screenings they mm-hmm. host the Real Rock screenings mm-hmm. and without that there there are a lot of a lot of talks and a lot of film festivals that I would not have gone to if Caltech wasn't hosting them. That's right. The, yeah, yeah, they definitely do serve a, uh, a great purpose in the outdoors community, bringing people together. Yeah. Yeah. We have a talk coming up by Lynn Hill. Oh, nice. <laughs> yeah. Nice. It's more like a, uh, SCMA, uh, Caltech Alpine Club, and also the uh, American Alpine Club, the LA chapter. So we are putting it together and I'm really excited. <laughs> Unfortunately, by the time people hear this, it will have already happened oh, a long time correct. ago. Yeah, but, that is but, right. Yeah. Uh, that is awesome that that is happening. <laughs> yeah. So you also mentioned that you were passing that torch on, and I assume it's okay to talk about this. If it's not, you can say no, and then we just won't. But yeah. you said that you were maybe thinking about leaving Los Angeles yeah. and California. Yeah, so, that is correct. So let's talk about that. Does that mean it's time for a new tattoo and a new chapter? <laughs> yeah, the new tattoo is there. So, yeah. <laughs> oh, so the chapter has begun. <laughs> the chapter has begun. So I guess, um, so I'm leaving Caltech, and uh, I've been at Caltech for the last eight years. I just feel like it's time, and uh, I need to kind of just find my path uh, outside of doing the science myself anymore. It's just like there's definitely a bit of a, uh, a shift in my life life uh, since I turned 40 <laughs> that I feel I want to I want to do adventures and having an academic uh, life unfortunately takes up most of your time and the the boundaries are really <laughs> not as clear like uh, some other professions so you're expected to work long hours and you don't get paid that well and it's just uh, I feel like it's time for me to like explore something still science adjacent but not like uh, me doing the science per se also like yeah thinking about leaving los angeles even though i love living in la like i discovered myself here i discovered the outdoors here i just love that you have the ocean not that i go to the ocean that often but you have the desert and i learned how to love the desert like (laughs) prior to living in la uh, like when i think about desert i would like think about sand dunes or something like that you think about the sahara and cartoon sand dune desert cartoonish desert you don't realize what all exists in there and like now i love uh, the desert, the Mojave, the Joshua Tree, like it's just so beautiful, so subtle. Uh, it looks maybe uninviting uh, depending on when you go, but it's just like everything who can survive in the desert are selected, <laughs> natural selection at its finest. Then you, you have San Gabriel Mountains and it's been like it used to be even like up until like a few years ago i used to think of saint gabriel as more like a conditioning spot for the sierras <laughs> uh, it was always like this stepping stone for a bigger adventure but then more recently i've been discovering how gorgeous <laughs> the saint gabriels are like all these canyons and like all these beautiful like hills and um like i started doing bikepacking and it's been just so wonderful to discover all these local like spots that i can just bike up to and just sleep and watch the city and and then you drive like four or five hours to the sierras and it's just like unbelievable the mountains i love mountains even though i love all that i just feel like uh, like where i am personally i need to like kind of need a shift 
and need to change something about my career and my life in general. So I'm hoping to move to the East Coast and my sister lives there and my niece is there and she's turning four very soon. One thing about me that like most people know, maybe it's kind of like weird to say, but I always wanted to be a mother. Like that's exactly why I picked uh, the field that I picked. I wanted to become a developmental biologist because I always thought the, the process of life the start of life was magical. <laughs> always wanted to experience being pregnant and so unfortunately things didn't work out for me and uh, and now I'm 41 and I'm <laughs> made the choices that I made in life and and I'm not going to be able to do that and uh, one of the things that kind of the ideas that gives me purpose when I think about it is to be a good aunt. I hate that I live so far away from uh, my niece and I believe if I'm closer to uh, my family I can bring uh, something to her life. I can bring the outdoors, I can bring the bugs, I can bring the curiosity and the, the, the sense of adventure. Beetles. Yeah the flesh-eating beetles <laughs> probably will stay here but <laughs> if anyone wants uh, <laughs> the colony is pretty big right now so I'm happy to uh, uh, hand out. Yeah. It's, uh, yeah, for funny for the, the grotto, like the caving club Christmas party, we're doing like a uh, one of those like gift exchanges, like the white elephant or whatever. And uh, so my gift was <laughs> flesh-eating beetles. <laughs> <laughs> so the person who picked it up, they were like, what is this? And, and then it devoured their arm. But then it got stolen. Someone stole the gift. Oh, so, so yeah, some really a, like they wanted to have flesh eating beetles. Missing flesh eating beetles somewhere. <laughs> I mean, stolen meaning like, you know, you steal yeah, yeah, the gifts. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. But uh, so yeah, I am primarily focusing on uh, the DC area because I just became a citizen, finally. That's right, that's right. Congratulations. <laughs> thank you, thank you. And now I'm eligible for uh, some of the positions that I've been considering uh, at NIH. So I'm going to chase that and see where that's going to go. And uh, I will still be in the sciences, but I won't be doing the experiments myself per se and be on the other side of the scientific equation, I guess, and uh, like supporting the scientists, grant writing and all that stuff. And DC, unfortunately, <laughs> there are no mountains and it definitely breaks my heart when I think about it. I, I looked, the first thing I looked was like, where is the closest climbing area? And that was uh, actually West Virginia. Which is not <laughs> uh, full that far circle. away. It's not that far it's away. It's like, yeah, four and a half hours, New River Gorge. A couple years ago, Eric and I did a bikepacking route, the CNO Towpath, yeah, which yeah, yeah. starts in yeah. D.C., goes to Cumberland. And then if you wanted, you could even continue on to the Gap uh -huh, Trail after uh -huh. that. Yeah. So you'll have access no, to that. Actually, yeah, that was definitely. So I was like, okay, climbing is almost four and a half hours away. There are no, like, big mountains per se, but it's okay. Uh, and there's caving, uh, definitely. I'm hoping that I will go back to caving and uh, explore that. And uh, also bikepacking, yeah, that was definitely uh, another thing that popped up that I'm like, okay, that's great. Uh, so the timeline for all that is still kind of uh, shaping up. And in the meantime, I'm still gonna be around for the next few months. And uh, what I'm doing <laughs> rigorously is chasing an adventure every weekend. I am trying to make the most of my remaining time in LA. And uh, I'm kind of like thinking about it as my love letter to LA and it's been like place where I feel like if like Pittsburgh during my PhD was the most peaceful time of my life the LA part of my life has been pretty like up and down with the divorce and like 
all kinds of like career changes and this and that and it's been uh, the most like growth kind of spur experience for me and uh, it's the place where I fell in love with the outdoors and kind of discovered uh, like so much about myself. I will miss LA but I know that I've made some great friendships and uh, I will always it will always feel like home I think so yeah so love letter to LA I uh, am saying yes to uh, any adventure and another thing that I wanted to mention actually like I am realizing because I've been outdoors with uh, many different groups many different people some are like you know more like I want to go on top of that peak and like hike 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 Mm -hmm. fast 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 and and other people are like all right you're gonna bike and like bike 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 (laughs) so I'm like (laughs) I am definitely like realizing my kind of people outdoors definitely still like into like pushing the boundaries of the mental and physical state but also like uh, kind of like stopping for to smell a flower and to ID a bird or like kind of just you know like uh, seeing the magic uh, outdoors it's always comes back to uh, nature and curiosity and kind of those like I definitely am realizing the difference in the different groups that I hang out with and what kind of experience that I have outdoors even though I've started out being outdoors relatively recently in life since the last uh, five years I uh, started to feel like I have something to like transfer my knowledge to the like others (laughs) and uh, even though I always feel like I'm a student uh, I realize that I also can be a teacher and a friend of mine was like "Uh, you are my uh, uh, trad mom (laughs) so which it was like really uh, like adorable to hear because I was like really (laughs) I'm like okay I guess like I can be your child mom (laughs) and uh, so yeah I feel like I am at a stage that I can transfer some knowledge I still feel like I have ton of things to learn but uh, I feel like there are people at different stages in their journey in the outdoors and it's all about like transferring the knowledge to each other sharing the outdoors together so and I definitely want to organize more trips uh, to Turkey or organized trips to Turkey not more trips but <laughs> there's just so much to do there and I always felt like either at SCMA or like some other co- like clubs that I'm like I want to take everyone to Turkey <laughs> and uh, I want to do that as well kind of rediscover my home it's funny because when I talk to you one of the things I love is like all the passion you have for all these different things and then I think even though you're like oh I hope my accent's not too strong you're very good at verbalizing your thoughts. Mm-hmm. You might not realize that, but you are. <laughs> <laughs> Thank which you. Is, which is great. <laughs> and then I also love the way that whether you mean to or not, you kind of break down your life into these chapters and you have the foresight to recognize, okay, it's time for the new one. I've gained what I want from this one. Now it's time to start the next one. And of course you recognize that sometimes there's pain and strife that comes Mm -hmm. along with that but it's worth it for the new experience the new experiences that you gain from doing that and so i want to wish you like great 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 success with whatever comes next Mm -hmm. and and good luck and hopefully they do hire you on at the nih and they're (laughs) stupid if they don't (laughs) thank you you should take your beetles with you if you can (laughs) because somebody there might want them i feel like there's so much more we could talk about Uh 
but I also feel like we've kind of encapsulated everything. And so I think we're at a great point to, to leave this off. Uh-huh. And the sun uh, is setting. <laughs> yeah, and the sun is setting. It will be a couple months or so before this comes out, maybe longer. So there may have been some changes. And so maybe you can give us some updates and let us know how yeah. things are going. But the way I always end this show, and I know you listened to a few episodes, so maybe you know what's coming, is I always ask, what is the final thought you want to leave everybody with? Uh, the final thought that I want to leave everyone with is even if you feel like you don't know where to start and how to get into something know that there are so many people like that around you and uh, just go seek out your community and there's just like so many clubs so many people who are looking to like bring in new people or introduce uh, things to new people and uh, don't be shy and uh, if you really want to be outdoors and outside just seek out opportunities and uh, I'm just realizing that like um, throughout the my outdoor experience I just wasn't shy I just was really wanted to go see places and go do things and and chase chase your own adventure and there are people like you exactly like you and uh don't feel shy yeah all right i think that is a great way to end this and a great note to leave that with people yes it is don't cover your face it's great <laughs> when you listen to it later you're gonna be like wow i'm a genius i don't I, <laughs> <laughs> well thank you so much for doing this yeah. i'm glad that you convinced yourself to do it and you yeah. didn't talk yourself out of it thank you so much for inviting me yeah and uh, now we can hike down where it's much cooler than that it was on right. the hike up <laughs> all my sweat on my body is dry now that's right I'm not disgusting anymore it only took an hour and a half or something for it to go away but look at that view. It's beautiful. <laughs> yeah, so thank you very much. All right. Bye. So we're all pretty active people, right? And we know that once we go out and sweat all day, that we need to replenish more than just the water in our body. We need to replenish minerals, we need to replenish salts, and that's why a lot of us turn to electrolyte drinks or sports drinks. I personally have gotten to where I will no longer purchase those because they're just packed full of sugar and dyes and a bunch of other things that my body doesn't actually need. And that is where Cure Hydration comes to help out. Cure Hydration is an oral rehydration solution that contains the perfect balance of electrolytes and glucose to help your body absorb water and rehydrate quickly. The formula is made from all natural ingredients like coconut water powder, pink Himalayan salt, and is free from all those artificial flavors, those sweeteners and preservatives that I was talking about in all those sports drinks. It's vegan, it's gluten-free, non-GMO, so it's a great option for anyone with any sort of dietary restrictions. And it's easy for on-the-go travel. We're busy people. They come in little convenient packets. You bust it open, pour it in your water, mix it up, drink it. You're good to go. You're rehydrated. You're not full of sugar. Ready to combat dehydration? Try Cure today and feel the difference for yourself. Use code GOPODCAST for 20% off your order. So I know there are mornings where I think, oh, it'd be great to have a nice big fruit smoothie, but I don't feel like breaking out the big blender. I don't want to clean the blender afterwards. And so I just end up eating a bowl of cereal. Well, someone has come along to help us solve this problem. And that is BlendJet. Specifically, BlendJet 2. BlendJet 2 is portable, so you can blend up a smoothie at work, protein shake at the gym, or even a margarita on the beach. 
It's small enough to fit in a cup holder, but powerful enough to blast through tough ingredients like ice and frozen fruit with ease. Blendjet 2 is whisper quiet, so you can make your morning smoothie without waking up the whole house. Lasts for 15 plus blends and recharges quickly via USB-C. And best of all, Blendjet 2 cleans itself. Just blend water with a drop of soap and you are good to go. And if you're thinking, oh, but is it beautiful? Does it come in the color that I like? Well, more than likely, the answer to that is yes, because they've got 30 plus colors and patterns to choose from. You could even pick Urban Camo if that's what you're into. So what are you waiting for? Go to blendjet.com, grab yours today, and be sure to use the promo code Go podcast to get 12% off your order and free two-day shipping. No other portable blender on the market comes close to the quality, power, and innovation of the Blendjet 2. They guarantee you'll love it or your money back. So blend anytime, anywhere with the Blendjet 2 portable blender. Go to blendjet.com and use the code GOPODCAST to get 12% off your order and free two-day shipping. Shop today and get the best deal ever. So now we've reached that time of the show where I invite you all to go to our website, gogetoutside.com. Look for this episode 106 with Eski Kuntas, where you will find photographs and links to everything we talked about in today's show. And if you'd like to talk to us here at the show, if you want to get in touch, tell us something important, there are a number of ways you can do that. You can send me an email, jason at gogetoutside.com or If you're a phone person and you'd rather leave a voicemail or send a text message, you can call us at 818-925-0106. And as always, and this is super important if you really want to help keep this show going, please run to your podcast purveyor of choice, make sure you're subscribed, and if you have not, rate and or review the show. And most importantly, please, please share this. If all of you just share it with one person, I will be eternally grateful. One additional note, earlier in the discussion, we talked about Carl Domanger, and I mentioned that his episode was probably 16 or something along those lines. It is indeed episode 12, and I highly encourage you to go listen to it. It is well, well worth your time. And that brings us to the end of this episode. I want to thank all of you who have come back, and I really, really want to welcome all of you who are new to the show, and I hope you come back next episode. And speaking of that, next time on the show, come back November 16th for a discussion with Scott Jensen of Near Zero. It's another great episode all about family, backpacking, lightweight gear, and cooking eggs and orange peels. November 16th, see you then.